Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with me. We are both writers first, podcasters second, so if you want to check out our stories throughout the week on football, recruiting, and basketball and hockey, you'll start to get some coverage in the coming weeks. Be sure to check it all out at themichiganinsider.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan. So however you want to get there, that's fine. Uh, it should be a fun show today, talking, of course, a uh, big recruit. We'll get to that in just a moment. We'll also talk about Michigan, kind of reviewing how they looked in non-conference play, standout players, things we learned, uh, things that Michigan has to improve upon because the games get a lot tougher from here. And then we'll also talk about Michigan's matchup against Nebraska. Based on our pre-show discussion, it sounds like Steve and I disagree on a few things regarding that game. So, so it should be a fun discussion. But first, I think we can both agree very soundly Daxton Hill is very good at football, and Michigan should be very happy to have landed the five-star safety recruit, uh, which they did so on Tuesday. Steve, this is, I'm curious, in in your years covering Michigan recruiting, where this recruiting win, because they beat out Alabama, where it ranks as far as biggest win for the Wolverines. Okay, so strictly from a recruiting standpoint, right? Because, I mean, Derek Green was a, a big recruiting win. So like, and he, he didn't do anything. But sure. if you if you look back, that was still a big recruiting win. Uh, in that context, I just I, this is definitely this tops under Harbaugh in my opinion. Um, you know, with Rashawn, you know, Michigan already had Jabril, they had Partridge on staff, uh, Bushel Beatty too. I mean, you know, I don't know how tight Jawan is or was with Rashawn at the time or whatever. But um, was Dwemfor in the fold as well? No, they got oh, okay. him later. Gotcha. Or no, I'm sorry. Dwemfor was committed beforehand. I'm sorry. So that was one of Rashawn's best friends as well. Yeah. So, you know, Michigan had some significant factors going in their direction in that recruitment. Uh, with Aubrey, they also had an assistant coach at Lee County who was a, a huge advocate for Michigan. I mean, huge. I think that helped stem the tied or smooth over the whole, you know, recruiting letter and the whole uh, F Michigan thing and that, you know, kind of wacky recruitment there. <laughs> um, this one is just a flat out, to me, it's just a flat out win. You know, it's not Michigan hasn't recruited Oklahoma particularly hard. Really never, you know? yeah. Well, yeah. this is like there was that one user like wouldn't get off it, the fact that Michigan, like, hasn't signed a kid from Oklahoma in forever. But if you look, actually look back, they really usually only offer like one or two guys out of the state each cycle. So that's like really insignificant piece of information. (laughs) Uh, It's, it's more of, but it is, it's the idea that it's not really a state that they've, you know, made a lot of inroads in or tried to though. Right. Well, and it's their effort. Yeah. It's always relevant to me when a state has two good programs performing well. Right. You know, like yeah, it's not absolutely. like there's a tire fire at either of those schools. It's not like it's some, you know, open season battleground. Like there's a, there's a, a lot brother, at stake. And a brother at one of those two schools, too. Yeah, so, who's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very good player. Yeah. So it's like he's produced there, you know. Um, so to me, this is a. I mean, because because Hill is that caliber of prospect, uh, I think it's number one because Michigan just kind of just flat out won this one. Uh, there were no big breaks or, you know, handy connections. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing really like that, that got them in this one. It was just good old fashioned recruiting. 
So that's the, to me, that's the most optimistic aspect of this commitment is that Michigan just went in and won it. You know, I mean, to me, it means that they can feel like, you know, they have, they're starting to get that staff that can do that. And that's why we, you know, we go back to when Sharon Moore, Al Washington were hired. Uh, you're legitimately now looking at a situation where each of those guys may be the primary responsibility for bringing in two five stars that I could tell you for a fact a year ago today, Michigan would not have had much of a shot with. You talk oh, about yeah, Zach Harrison. You, you talk about Zach Harrison with Washington. Uh, so those hires, you know, even the fact that I mean, said Michigan's even in it with Harrison as much as they are is, is a testament to Her- or, uh, to uh, Washington's ability. So, and, and he's already been the primary for a, a bunch of other guys they've gotten. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think it's significant in that regard too. And uh, yeah, I mean, Hills also, you know, I'd say safety was the one spot Michigan hadn't really recruited a true, no doubt blue chipping blue chipper kind of guy. And he is that in spades. Um, he's probably the best safety prospect I can ever remember them recruiting. I know Ernest Shazer, probably the other one. Shazer was yeah, really highly yeah. regarded coming out of King he was a long time star. ago. He had yeah. a good career, didn't he? If I'm not Shazer? mistaken. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Probably so. should have stayed. Uh, you know, his his NFL career kind of tanked pretty quickly, but he was an excellent player for Michigan. So actually, as uh, I was putting together, it's kind of funny, putting together the top 15 ranked recruits of all time at Michigan. And honestly, a lot of you know, Mallet, Mallet transferred. But besides that, and you have the two uncommitted or the unsigned in Hinton and uh, now Hill, but the only guys on that list that didn't end up playing in the pros all it was Kevin Grady, Kelly Baraka, and Derek Green are the three guys on the out of the top fifteen. Um, we'll see with Aubrey Solomon, but I have to assume he'll be a pro eventually too, provided he stays healthy. Um, you know, but all the other guys play, and Gary obviously will get drafted. Yeah, uh, but all the other guys played running back, uh, or all their busts played running back. So oh, okay. <laughs> so the odds are that. Uh, the odds are heavily in favor of Hill succeeding if you just want to use that as a, a kind of guide. Um, so well, it seems like, and I I don't have the I'm pulling up the top safeties, top safety recruits of all time, but it seems like that's a position where there's a good hit rate. I mean, I'm looking at like Landon Collins, Derwin James. Oh, uh, you know, I mean, it seems like Haha Clinton Dix. These are five star safeties that I you know that are ranked similar. Prescott Burgess was a Michigan guy, obviously. So, you know, seems like that's a position where actually, interestingly, Michigan has had three of the top 19 safety recruits in the, in the all time recruiting, like since 2000. So that's a right, but, but not lately, but yeah, it seems like it's a, it's a good hit rate for compared to other positions where sometimes you don't know. It seems like it's someone like Hill too. I mean, you can't, What's he going to do, get, get slower, you know, with all the training and everything? Right. No, I, I agree. So I think, yeah, I think the, you know, knock on wood if you want, if you're listening and you're worried that we're jinxing this. But, yeah, he's, <laughs> about as, he's about as sure a bet as – definitely as sure a bet as anybody they've recruited, you know, along with guys like Jabril and uh, Gary and um, – well, Donovan's starting to come into his own. He's in that – he's on that list too as one of the highest-ranked guys. Yeah. So, um so yeah, so it's it's big in that regard. Uh, I know one comparison that I read. I tried. I was asked yesterday about like comparing him with an NFL player. One that was actually popped up that was interesting to me was Jalen Ramsey. 
because uh, Ramsey was recruited and played safety at Florida State until I believe either his last, maybe his last season, where he shifted, he moved to cornerback. But he was definitely a safety in high school. Pretty similar uh, profiles there with the speed, the coverage ability. Um, and if you get a guy even close to as good as Jalen Ramsey was in college, right. then you're going to be <laughs> happy, you know, happy as heck if you're a Michigan fan. So, so yeah, I mean, you know. I don't think there was not much exaggerating this one. It's a big one. Uh, it's one I, I, I think I've been saying for probably a couple months now, at least I thought he was the most important guy or their, if a guy that they, if they got him, it was their biggest win just because they've done really well in the defensive line. I mean, Harrison's right up there just because he's going to be a, an elite player too. Um, but you know, they needed that big time safety and uh, and they finally got one. So yeah, I, yeah. To... I think Steve, Steve Wiltfong was saying safety and running back were their biggest needs, and in this class they got their top two targets, or top targets at each of those positions. So, yeah, I, Steve, I'm curious, and I mean, I know readers of the site know, but I'm curious just, just to sum up the recruiting battle. What are, what are two or three things Michigan, because you mentioned they just flat out won. You know, it's not like Alabama was, like, giving him a – non-committable offer or, or you know kind of ignoring him they were they were in on him as well and I think I if I'm not mistaken they were indicating he could play uh right away as well so what did Michigan do right in this recruiting battle that allowed them to win uh, I think it's that whole Michigan experience sometimes you find a guy and a family who actually appreciate that um you know, Sam's quote from the dad about it's not a, it's a, of course they want to win, but it's not a win at all costs Yeah, type deal for them. Um, that's really, I mean, I think that kind of sums it up because that's the way Michigan approaches it. Uh, we want to win a national championship, but we're also going to try to make you elite in the classroom and kind of give you as much of the college experience as you possibly can. So, um, you know, and like I said, you always hope to find those. You always hope that some of the elite guys are like that. And Michigan's found a few of them. Um, and that's how they, when they do win these big races, it, it that's usually what it is. And yeah, uh, I think yeah. this one was, a, this one's no different. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's why it's, that's big. You know, I mean, again, I, I kind of run out of things to say about <laughs> this because we've been talking about it so much lately, but right. it also says, though, this is a, this is, it's a big one. So yeah. I think it's worth talking about, um, but yeah, it was a great, great job by Sharon Moore. Chris Partridge obviously involved too. Uh-huh. Um, definitely a duo that you would feel comfortable with on uh, on an elite recruit, you know. So um, yeah, I think it's you know talking about Sharon Moore, and you've mentioned him, but I mean this is Oklahoma's best recruit they've had in you know how many years? Like it's not like it's not like five stars come out of Oklahoma all the time, and Sharon Moore went out and won it. You know, used his ties, used his recruiting ability. Uh, so, so yeah, certainly bodes well. And and for those who don't know much about Hill, go watch his tape. I think our site, I'm sure, has a couple scouting reports. But at the Nike uh, opening, I think it was at the opening, he did a four three in the forty four point three zero, and then uh, and those are verified. You know, that's not just some those are know, verified numbers. Those yeah. not some over eager coach with a stopwatch. You know, it's it's right. it's legit. And then forty three and a half inch vertical leap. Uh, his shuttle time was like 4.2, I think it was. I mean, it's, you know, you, you look at all of the things he scored in, 
and he's already, from an athletic standpoint, first round caliber athlete. And so, so, and and as I think you mentioned, uh, in in a couple of your stories, you know, safety, they put a lot on Michigan safeties. I think we are going to end up talking about it later on in the show. You know, they've got to hang with those receivers. They're not gonna, you know, they. That, you know, someone like a Josh Metellus or a Tyree Kinnell or or even, you know, Delano Hill, you know, they're asked to do an awful lot with Michigan's aggressive, man-oriented defense. And this is someone who can handle stuff like right now. You know, it's not just, you know, he's not a he's not a project. He's he's already he's already able to handle that kind of stuff. So instant impact recruit. Uh question, because they, they still are in on and in on can vary based on all of these recruits, but Kovaris Crouch, Kyle Ford, George Karlaftis, and you mentioned Zach Harrison. If I'm missing one, uh, perhaps you can fill that in. But we got a lot of questions from our from our readers asking about how does I think Bill Kuhneman wants to know what other names we should keep an eye on, or if there will be any any recruits that will be kind of re looking at Michigan that maybe have moved on, and then. Uh, uh, someone with the Twitter name Dot. Uh, odds on Zach Harrison now with Dax Hill on board. And then I think those are the two. So, yeah. you know, I know what the answer is. Uh, no one is going to – there's no Daxton Hill package deal, so there's no one that's, like, automatically joining. I, I also – you know, it's not like the schools Michigan is competing against for those other players. It's not like there aren't five stars in the other classes too. But as you, I think the phrase you've said, it doesn't hurt uh, to have more big names to be able to kind of sell the class as a real, you know, championship caliber class. And it also maybe, maybe not this cycle, but down the road, people might say, well, he committed to Michigan, so he must have liked his visit. Yeah. Maybe I should go and see what's up there. I guess what what is what is what should fans view the impact the residual impact of this commitment uh just minimal i i mean i don't think there's some guy that's off the, or off the board or close to off the board thinking like oh man you know like i just <laughs> really don't think that stuff happens is zach if zach harrison chooses michigan i would i would bet a hefty sum that Daxon Hill committing to Michigan is not even in the top 10 reasons why <laughs> Zach Harrison committed to just Michigan. Just you wait. He's so, going to commit to Michigan, and then he's going to say, you know, I was comment, on the yeah. fence, and but really Daxon Hill joining the fold couldn't yeah. let, let couldn't miss out on that opportunity. I don't I don't buy that stuff. <laughs> Unless there's yeah. a – the only way is if there's like a pre-existing relationship, um, you know, with the guy that commits. Otherwise, I just – you know, I, and I've never been a big – you know, I've always gone with. Uh, it, obviously, it's not going to hurt, right? Right. But no I one. Yeah. I'm not a. Yeah. I'm not a buyer that it's going to help that much. So you know, it's like, yeah, it's, you know, you get the whole uh, elite players wanting to play with elite players thing. I get it, um, but I don't really. No. Yeah, not that big. I say this like every time they get a big commit, we always get the same question, uh, and it's the answer is always going to be the same. Never going to hurt. Not really going to help that much, though. It's not going to be the factor. Yeah, not so. a tide turner. Yeah, uh, yeah. I 
I feel like you can look throughout the recent history and that that is exactly what happens. You know, it's not, you know, Aubrey Solomon wasn't like, oh, I got to join Donovan Peoples-Jones. But right. Michigan having a good 2017 class probably did not hurt either, right. you know, in well, the sense where he was like, oh, this can be a class that can do something. You're also at the point in the process where the chips are on the table, right? Yeah. I mean, the, a lot of these guys have been taking visits for multiple seasons. You know, they've pretty much seen and heard everything that they're going to see and hear. Um, you know, I just it's very, very, very low on the, you know, the impact is – a billion times more about just Hill actually just committing to Michigan and the impact it has for the program, not on the recruiting trail, you know, just my opinion. So, yeah, no, I mean, what do I know? What do I know? You know, <laughs> I hope you know a little bit more than other people, but yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they do have a class now that I think is a, is a good bounce back class. Now, 2018, I think there was, it was long thought to be kind of a, I mean, initially I think they, they had high hopes for some big fish, but it became clear, you know, it's hard to sell linebackers on waiting a year or two. It's hard to sell receivers on waiting a year or two. So it was kind of a, a little bit of a tweener class, still top 25, which I think is better than Brady Hoke and Rich Rod's tweener classes were. But uh, now 2019 ranked seventh nationally, first in the Big Ten. And as we mentioned uh, some pretty big names still out there that Michigan is still pursuing. I'd be surprised if they didn't come home with two or three more commitments. So anyway, switching to the current team, they finished up non-conference play. They're two and one. They're averaging 37 points a game. They're allowing, I should have done that math ahead of time, but they, they lost to Notre Dame 24, 17. They beat Western Michigan 49, three, and then they, they beat SMU 45 to 20. Steve, you did your your position grades and and kind of breaking down how all the position groups have done so far. I'm curious. I assume can I can I assume special teams came out on top? It's up there. Yeah. Yeah, who else who else stood out? I mean, I assume quarterback, uh, receiver. Thought, yeah. Yeah, receivers, quarterback. Um D-line got a well, no, not D-line, just because of the interior. Uh, linebacker's got a solid grade. I know Hudson's been – hasn't put up the stats, but I think overall I think the linebacker play's been fine. Um, I gave cornerback a grade that I think people thought was a little too high at the A-, minus. but again, I mean, I really think overall they're still uh, playing at a high level. It's like – it's sort of they're doing what we said they would do where teams were going to throw more a little bit more this year. Mm-hmm. And well, there's better quarterbacks. Ben Hicks – and, and right. Brown are better quarterbacks than Cincinnati had last year. Right. So like they, so it was, there was going to be some statistical regression, right? And we said that all off season uh, at the court, you know, as far as those passing stats, I suspect that they'll still be at or near the top of the country passing defense wise by the end of the year. So um, maybe that was a little bit too generous on that one, but otherwise I, yeah, I, those were the, highest ones I gave out I don't know if anybody got a straight up a I think everybody got an a minus yeah well every every position group this could be if you're an optimist you could see this as a faster path to improvement is that every single group has something pretty glaring that they 
just aren't doing right. I guess receiver and quarterback don't really have that, but like, you know, special teams, you know, they want the kicking game to be better. They want the punt return game to be better, but they've still done, they've still got, I mean, we'll see how long you can keep it up. Will Hart looks like one of the nation's best punters right now. And Ambry Thomas, obviously doing everything, you know, you could go in and like, you know, same with the defensive line. It's like, well, they've, they're only getting, you know, a sack and a half or two sacks per game, but they're also, according to my colleague Michael Spath, have 49 quarterback pressures on 96 passing passing snaps. So, yep. you know, it's it's there's there's that all of a sudden if they start to close things out, the unit looks a whole lot different, even though they're already doing some things uh, that are encouraging. And so, so yeah, I, I mean, you know, I also did a 10 things we learned. Steve, what is what is something? Because most of my things that I learned honestly weren't like learning. It was just more validating it. Like Shea Patterson looks good. The offensive line struggles. The the receivers look better. The the defense. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know what what exactly your thoughts are on the defense. But what are what are one or two things that stood out to you as impressions through these first three games? Um. So, I think. The one thing that two things, I mean, both are kind of obvious, but I think both are of the utmost importance. They've turned around their special team situation, which again is like a big picture thing that in a four quarter game, if you can consistently win field position with the defense that they have, um, that you're going to put yourself in a position to win some big games. And then you combine that with what looks like elite play at quarterback. And I think you have two very, very important factors that to me lead me to be more optimistic than I thought I would be uh, given the the way that the first game turned out. Um, Cause a lot of like the special teams is like it's opponent neutral. It's not about Will Hart is not punting against a team. He is punting. Right. You know, and like, he's been a big factor in that regard. And uh, so, you know, I think that's a a situation where those two things and the long haul of the season can win you some big games. So, um, and again, I think the defense for, you know, whatever, you know, they're, they're on the precipice. I mean, you're a couple, just a couple big plays away from people feeling totally different about the defense, in my opinion. And, and, you know, I think this weekend, is really maybe the best. It's a great time for another quarterback that can make plays on their feet. Cause I think it'll be a good test to, you know, maybe what they didn't do well against Notre Dame. Yeah. And so, or uh, SMU and, to be, or, to be right, frank. Yeah. Right. So uh, th- I think this is, it's, it's a good time to get another quarterback like that uh, as an opponent, you know, for sort of the long haul. And, uh, but yeah, you get good quarterback play, and you're you can get win the field position battle. I think that puts you in a great, great position uh, when you you know you go to Michigan State or you host Wisconsin. Uh, I think those are the types of things that you can. Those games are very winnable if they continue the trajectory they're on in those two facets. Well, and like Will Hart alone, I bet I bet our listeners didn't think we'd talk about Will Hart so much today. Uh, but you know him, he averaged. If I'm not mistaken, this is off the time I had 37.6 yards per punt last year. Something like that, yeah. And he's up to 50.1. That's literally, you know, say Michigan's defense allows, I don't know, three and a half yards per play, four yards per play. 
you know, that's 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 a whole nother first down and then a second play that opposing teams have to now do. You know, it's they suddenly have to do that extra to score. So, you know, if maybe your drive stalls at the 40 and you can't get the field goal. Well, if Will Hart hadn't punted 13 yards extra, your drive that's, would be at the 27 and you'd get it get easy three points. That's 100%. That's that's a thousand percent what it's about. Yeah. I mean, that's what I guarantee you the coach the coaches probably know all of these numbers right off the top of their head. I guarantee it. You know, and it's one of those things that just nobody ever 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 talks about, which is another reason why you know, on the punt returns, people were like, are so upset with Donovan Peoples-Jones because he didn't. He <laughs> misplayed one ball against Western Michigan where it took a funky bounce. When, but in actuality, you walk, go back and watch the game, and he's starting to kind of find that groove that Jabril found where he's getting to some balls in the air, and it's potentially saving the team 10, 15, 20 yards of field position if he had let it bounce instead. Right. Uh, there's so much value in that. Yeah. And and again, it's it's one of the, it's as as much as football is college football and football in general is broken down nowadays. We have pro football focus. You have all this other. It is still such a huge part of the game that never gets any pub or coverage. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing to me because I guarantee you that winning field position on a, in a big game is one of the top two or three priorities for any coaching staff. Well, win the turnover yeah. margin, win field position, and you're going to win a ton of games. That's, you know. And and as you're kind of alluding to, you know, because winning field position, Michigan actually quietly had okay field position last year because its defense would, like, pin teams back so much. I mean, there were – I'd be curious what the total number of drives that resulted in negative yards Michigan's defense had last year. It, but but what you're alluding to is the value added field position. You know, what what is you know, if Donovan Peoples Jones catches a ball that otherwise would have bounced ten yards, you know, that's something like you, there's no stat for that. There's there's no way to, to know that. So so yeah, that's a good that's a good lesson learned. I think uh, you know, that's certainly something and as you said, and I think I said it in my story, I said of all the of all these takeaways through non-conference play, this one you can probably take to the bank the most because it's not like Ambry Thomas is going to not be a dynamic kickoff specialist. It's not like uh, right. you know Will Hart is suddenly going to you know <laughs> it's not like he's going to go through a punting. Well, I guess it's possible to shank a couple, but yeah, it's not like there's a punting slump. He's just a better punter than he was a year ago. So, so yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, let's talk about a couple on offense. I, I don't know what the bar was for Shea Patterson because it's a very interesting because I think some people were you know kind of expecting him to be this 300 yards a game passer. Uh, but at the same time, I think everyone is pleased with how Shea Patterson has played so far, even though he's not even averaging 200 yards per game. But I think what, the, what that is is it's, it's a little bit of a, a seeing is believing where it has been very off and on. Michigan's quarterback play for the past decade. You know, I mean, you can point to a few games where Devin Gardner was electric. Obviously, Denard Robinson had a very good uh, run in 2010 and 2011. You know, Jake Rudock had a four or five game stretch that was special, but it's it, it seems like Patterson is able to make throws none of them could make, and it's he's able to do things that they couldn't do. Now, they did things he couldn't do as well, but just seems like that's you know I think I can't remember exactly how I phrased it in the story, but Shea is a 
is a really handy upgrade for a team that really needed a handy upgrade at quarterback. I guess, you know, looking at this offense and just how suddenly it has this vertical passing attack, you know, I talk about path to improvement. If they're winning some of these games without Karan Higdon and Chris Evans doing what they normally do, if they're winning some of these games without maybe their best play from their tight ends, you know, if they're, you know, if they're winning these games in ways that they didn't win last year, I feel like it's very hard to not look at that as an encouraging factor because suddenly, suddenly, you know, say Chris Evans and Karan Higdon go for hundred yards a piece in one of these games down the road and you have the vertical passing attack. Well, maybe your offense is able to be more electric and actually forge a comeback against a team or, or, or hang with a team that, that, maybe just has has Michigan's defense's number. It's just another winnable element that the Wolverines have. So so yeah, to me, I you know, I I think one interesting debate is who's more impressive so far, the receivers or Patterson, because the receivers have an eighty one percent catch rate. Uh and that's targets, not not drops. It's not like they're dropping nineteen percent of passes. It's just even in any incompletion. They're catching eighty one percent of the throws targeted to them. So to me, that vertical passing game has really, really, really opened things up. Uh, it's just a matter of I think I think it it would have been more prevalent had Higdon and Evans been fully healthy on Saturday. But to me, that was that was a big one. Anything else stand out on offense that that maybe not necessarily surprising, but is different or has been a takeaway or has been something that you learned from non conference play. Mm, I mean, not much more than you added. I mean, it's like, so people, they put up 45 points uh, last Saturday in the last seven drives, touchdown, 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 field goal, touchdown, uh, really. And then the drive before that, interception On the at two. the goal line yeah. where the receiver is really the one, in my opinion, who made the mistake, um, not coming back to the ball, seemed more focused on trying to get catch the touchdown than come back to the ball, uh, you know, not totally absolving Patterson there, but really though, I mean, if McCune had maybe come back more, come more of the ball, uh, probably might have been able to make the play there. So I'm sure he uh, would have called it a mistake too. I don't think it's right, uh, yeah. right. But you know what I mean? Though you watch the play, yeah. you see how it happens. He's calling him to come back. He kind of stopped a little bit, which whatever. I mean, it's not you know whatever. Like I said, they were rec- they recovered uh, offensively, obviously. So um, I think they, yeah. I mean, I think the offense. I don't know how you couldn't be optimistic. I wouldn't say happy because, yeah, I mean, the offense was pretty pedestrian in, in their one major test, right? So um, so I get it, SMU, Western Michigan. But this is way more than what you saw offensively last year. They couldn't game. get 40 points against anybody last year, even right. Rutgers, you know, even Cincinnati, even, yeah. it was. Uh, so that's, that's where I look at. And it goes back a little bit to what we talked about last week when, uh, when on when he was talking about how they haven't really opened things up or opened up the offense yet, uh. <laughs> and people, people get a little like skittish about it. Where in my opinion, I kind of look at it like, well, you know, I think that they have a dynamic player at quarterback now, so I think there's a better possibility that he might be telling the truth. I'm sure he's telling the truth. I, I just um, they say that every year, and sometimes it doesn't result. Right, but in I think improved. I just think they have. I just think there's a different. It's different. This I just think. There, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's a guarantee that he's that he's being 
Also, I'd you hope know, they didn't reveal their entire offense three weeks into the season, right? right? <laughs> but at the same time, here's the other thing too: when he says that they haven't, when a player says they haven't revealed the whole, it could be the most subtle, like nuances that fans would not even be able to catch on TV. Maybe that he's referring to too. That might be a little different, like a, you know, like a a one route or a, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, yeah. It, it's not like they're going to come out and run. Well, and that stuff, uh, you know, Hail Mary, you know, like, yeah. So, and, and by the way, in, in, in your defense, you're right. That stuff, like, like say it's a, say it's a, you know, five yard pick or something, you know, like, like there's different little things that can shift the entire balance of the field or, you know, one offensive lineman's on the move versus the other one, or, you know, the running back hits, the hole between the tackle and the guard versus the one outside the tackle. I mean, those little things can make a huge difference in a, in, in a play's result. And, and also, you know, sometimes plays work, sometimes they don't. The one that Karan Higdon burst out for a 67-yard touchdown run and then I think a 43-yard run on the next drive, they ran it against SMU and SMU's defensive personnel. I don't know if they saw the play coming, but their personnel was ready for that particular play. So, yeah, I mean, I'm wary about tying it to this offense is only going to get better. I think that's probably where I'm kind of telling fans, like, hey, they, they do kind of say that every year, and pretty much everyone in the country says it. Uh, but but you are right. It is a new kind of offense, new caliber offense. And Shea Patterson met with us on Tuesday and kind of talked about, you know, the chemistry's getting better, the, the cohesion's getting better. So I'm curious, one thing that I was also mentioned in my, in my things learned, I feel like the offense has not an identity crisis or an identity problem, but they have, I think they're going through an identity change because of certain players are stepping up, certain players uh, have not shown obvious improvements yet. And I'm curious, you know, when they, when they do so well in the passing game, and they open up, I think, what was it, 23 of their first 31 plays against SMU were running plays, and they only scored seven points in those in those drives, and it seemed like most of their good plays were those eight passing plays. And then suddenly they start to pass more, and the points come freely. What Do you, do you think the offense should change anything as far as, like, should Patterson be attempting more than 21 throws a game? Or do you think that that running first mentality, which, by the way, for fans asking, Harbaugh gets that from Bo and Jack Harbaugh, two extremely run-heavy coaches. But do you think that that running game is part of what is making this pass game successful? Um, I think to an extent. So, you know, I, I think a lot of ways it's pretty simple what they're wanting to do. You know, and it all goes back to – you could even go, go back to – it's all part of, like, a plan – you even talk about the strength coach. Uh, you want to like beat teams up up front, up into to begin control the, the line game. of scrimmage. Yeah, be yeah, physical. Your best yeah. To, yeah, your best chance to do that is by running the football early, and then you and then second half comes, third quarter, fourth quarter. Uh, you can wear them out, win the game through the air or in the pass. That's I mean I got to assume that's part of it, like close to the logic. You know, when they're trying You'd to establish so. the run early they're often. Tw- by the way, the 23 out of 31, that was without Michigan's best running back. You know, I mean, they were really kind of expecting Chris Evans and True Wilson, who are who have done fine jobs so far. But, 
uh, it seemed like, I don't know, to me it was a little bit of a puzzler, but continue. The what, them running the ball so much? That much. I can eh. see running more than you pass. But you don't when, think you don't think it's a deal where they already they're they, I mean they kind of think okay we we actually we can pass the ball we need to maybe fine tune our running game some more so we're gonna keep running the ball until we get it right I mean that's the way I look at it I mean there was was there ever really any doubt uh, particularly in the last two weeks you know I think you look at you got you come in you got Notre Dame to start the season uh, you want to challenge your guys up front. So you challenge them by, you know, doing that, trying to go for the run heavy, run heavy game. You struggle to an extent. You lose the game. Uh, you know, you go back and look at that film and say, okay, we did this, this, and this. We didn't do this. So the things that we didn't do, that's we need to, you know, pound those things home. You know, I look at MGO blog. Uh, Brian always does his great UFR breakdown where he breaks each play by play down, and he's still spotting mistakes on Michigan's, some of their basic power schemes in the running game. And like, those are the bread and butter plays that are going to win Michigan games eventually. uh, Because if they can, if they can hit on those plays, then the passing game is going to be a cinch with what they have at quarterback and with what they're developing at receiver and tight end. So, um, you know, I, I think the, uh, the, the, possibility or the the personnel they have where I think if they need to they could pass to set up the run I just don't think that's the way they want it's just not the way they want to go about it if they can and sure. so in deals in deals when maybe they maybe they're up against a you know like a Wisconsin or Michigan State and think okay you know maybe we will pass to set up the run here a little bit you know because they think they they feel like they can pass the ball that's the other reason why I don't you know they're they're not running a ton of pass plays they're, they're succeeding when they are. So it's not a deal. You know, I think people, it's like Michigan's not going to go, what are they going to accomplish if, you know, they put up 77 points, if they throw the ball 50 times against a team, we know they're going to beat. And yet, you know, maybe McCune and maybe Gentry, let's say, hasn't, hasn't perfected that chip block on that power, you know, run play and, and Higdon keeps getting jacked on the edge, something like that. You know, I think it's like, it's those little nuances that they're always working on. Uh, and I think that's why they try to, establish that stuff because running the football still wins in college football. I don't care what anybody says. Like you look at the top teams, they're always running the ball at a high level. I know Alabama's got a really, maybe their best passing attack under uh, Nick Saban, which is scary, uh, but they're still running the ball down people's throats at the end of the day to set that all up. So uh, I think that's where Michigan wants to get to, um, you know, as far as being able to line people up and do it. Now, could it come to a get to a point where they're doing it to a fault? I mean, one of the things is, you know, and I think this was noticed a little bit against Notre Dame when you're playing, when you're running into a, a loaded box where you're outnumbered, you know, I mean, that's different. And I suspect that, but that's the thing is like, I suspect teams are going to start dropping a little more back because the pass might be Michigan's bigger threat. Right. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's Michigan state and Wisconsin dared Michigan to throw last year and it kind of worked for Michigan against Wisconsin for a little bit before the before Peters got knocked out of the game it did not work against Michigan State and that's how they won they said we're going to you aren't going to run on us right you're going to have to beat us in the air and then they didn't 
Well, that, and that's where you, that's the thing is you want to get to a point where teams can't do that. Yeah. Where they can't pigeonhole you. And so that's why I think you look at it, you think, okay, Patterson's been throwing the ball really well. That means we need to run the ball more. We need to get to the, we need to have a, a comfort level running the ball that we have with Shea throwing the ball. When we get there, then defenses aren't going to know what to do. You know, and that's why you look at some of the teams that have had some good starts this season. You know, we knew Ohio State would be able to run the ball with J.K. Dobbins and, and Weber. You know, but then now, you know, would they have Haskins throwing the ball at a high level? You know, they're going to be really, really difficult to defend. And like I said, same with Alabama with Tua and um, and and Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs and, and Najee Harris and those guys. So, you know, I, I think that that's really what it comes down to. Balance is the number one thing you're going to want offensively because defenses are going to – they won't be able to say, hey – we're gonna put nine in the bo- we're gonna put eight or nine in the box because you can't <laughs> like last year. Yeah, no, it, it could do. Yeah, it's exactly what happened last year. So oh. I want to I want to switch to the defensive side of the ball. One one stat I will throw out there for the listeners. We don't need to discuss it because I think our our points have been made. But Brian Lewerke, Trace McSorley, Dwayne Haskins are averaging thirty one point seven pass attempts per game. Shea Patterson is averaging twenty one point three. So my my hunch is part of that is learning the new offense, you know, getting to know his receivers. Uh, you know, Michigan is probably always going to be a little bit more conservative offensively. I mean, Jack Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh's father, and the like, the person he listens to more than anybody else. Uh, you know, he he was running the ball eighty percent of the time when he was at Western Kentucky. So it's just part of it's who he is. But I do think it it will expand as Patterson's comfort grows more, and as you kind of said. You know, you don't run your offense. You run your offense to beat the opposing defense. So if Nebraska's daring Michigan to throw, well, th- then they're going to throw. So right. anyway, on the defensive side, uh, you know, we mentioned seems like they're kind of close in a lot of areas. You know, I think the the defensive tackles got a lot better on last Saturday than they were the previous two games. Carlo Kemp seems like a little bit of a revelation uh, but the defensive line seems like they're getting close. They're just not quite there. Uh, Devin Bush is a is a looking like a freak already. Uh, Kalik Hudson has had a quiet start to the season as far as box score totals. Seems like he's been in on a, a good number of plays. Any any takeaways or you know lessons learned on on the defensive side of the ball? No, I mean it's been about hasn't been too dissimilar from what. Just that coach, those couple drives against Notre Dame, I think, are really yeah, but setting everything else. You go awry. back if you go back and look. I mean, that's where I say it's like been a matter of inches. Which again, I know that can end up being the difference. But you look at like the big plays that Notre Dame made in that game. They were all made, in my opinion, excellent plays made by the respective Notre Dame receiver, whoever was being thrown to. I mean, those were some, you know, Mac makes that diving catch, the one that Metellus got ejected on. I mean, that was a hell of a catch. Same, obviously, with the touchdown, which if that that's not a touchdown, maybe 60% of the time. I mean, that was a, yeah. maybe a 40-60 ball that <laughs> fell in Notre Dame's favor. You know, I, I just, I think it's, I think the struggles or relative struggles, they're still, Yards per play, I believe, are one of the top defenses in the country right now, if not number one. I believe that was a stat that popped up on our board this week. Um, you know, I don't think it's as dire or as bad as 
people think, and I agree. I think, but it is going to come Eighth down to my nationally opinion. in yards per Eighth? play allowed. Yep, that came okay. in the where Michigan ranks story that I do on Sundays. Eighth in okay. yards per play allowed. So yeah, you're right. That's not that's, that's not bad at all. That's very that's very solid when you would consider that the interior was by and large gashed against Notre Dame in a lot of instances. You know, um, and Kemp's emergence is important because they've played the last two games without two of probably their best what four or five interior guys yeah so now all of a sudden you have another guy that you can throw in there which i suspected he would get there at some point anyway we talked a lot about carlo last week but um you know now you should be getting solomon and or marshall back in the near future could probably would probably bet lawrence will play on saturday you think Um, so okay yeah i would bet i don't think his injury was as severe as Aubrey's was not that either of them were super severe or anything like that. I would suspect. Yeah, he downgraded Jim Harbaugh downgraded Solomon from week to week to day to day, which seems kind of odd at the surface without knowing anything about it because he had a surgery. I usually think those are like kind of a little bit more mandatory recoveries. Right. Um, I don't know. We don't really bother too much with injury updates, but but okay, you think Marshall could play this weekend? He could, but either way. you know, I think, yeah, I think the interior is, as you said, they're getting there, which we talk about running quarterbacks. That interior line is going to be pivotal, right? Because Winovich and Gary are getting to the edge at will. Um, there just been those gaps there. And, and that's what happened against Notre Dame, you know, like on that third down. So one more uh, uh, one question yeah. that might influence how we talk about the defense. Uh, Joe C., Asked, uh, any chance we see a shakeup at safety, including replacing Tyree Kinnell? He's a leader, but he's a liability in coverage. I would love to see what JKP or Woods can do. I think you and I both disagree with that. I think Kinnell has been fine. I also am always kind of wary about when <laughs> seems like fans just build up these backups in their head. I, uh, You know, it's not like Michigan. If, if Jalen Kelly Powell was had more capabilities right now than Tyree Kennel. I feel like he would have gone in for a few snaps. But I also don't know I don't know what do you think of the safeties cuz it seemed like uh Proch obviously had a big game. I don't know who was guarding him when, but a lot I, of different guys were on him I felt like. Yeah. Yeah. He's just good. I think he's a pro. Yeah. And they and their quarterback made some great throws on those passes too. Now I'm not excusing their coverage well, that was a quarterback no one – I don't blame Michigan for not really game planning for him. <laughs> I, I, Yeah, I would I would tend to agree. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I, I just – I definitely don't agree on the Tyree thing. Right. At all. Right. Just that's – like you, and you said. And I I don't know how much of a role we play in the whole, like, backups thing. Uh you know, as far as like when we do like fall reports and stuff, if people, yeah, oh. like I think I do, but I do, I do think people get a little overzealous about just, I, I can't comprehend the simple fact that the coaches really are going to put the best players out there. Like it just continues to like, you no know, whether it's trying that, to lose the football game. No, these like, you know, and that's the whole, like, uh, what the, Merit, people question the meritocracy. Yeah. They think that Harbaugh leans towards guys with more seniority and stuff, which, you know, Michigan's played 
a ton of younger guys in the last couple of seasons. Um, <laughs> well, and it seems like, I mean? like every time, every time the backup goes in, it seems like there is a drop off. I don't, right. I don't recall. I think the one, one situation where it maybe has not happened. Well, there's, there's two, there's two that stand out to me. One punter, because Will Hart was Brad Robbins backup. And now Will Hart looks like he's, you know, an all big 10 caliber punter. And then I think the Michael Dwum for Carlo Kemp. It's it seems like if Michigan were to redo the season, knowing what it knows now, it probably starts Carlo Kemp against Notre Dame, and it probably does better against Notre Dame as a result. But I think that's by, fair. By and large, this is not. It's not a thing. That's you know the backups are backups for a reason. Nobody spends more time figuring out who needs to start and who needs to sit than Michigan's coaching staff. You know, I mean, that's that's like literally their full-time jobs. I don't know. It's, yeah. Yeah, and you're right. You're right. We probably are like, oh, such and such is really turning heads. You know, but like, you know, has Josh Metellus been outplayed by Brad Hawkins? I'm not quite there to say that yet. But what we heard in camp was that Brad Hawkins has done really well. But even then, there's still a drop-off between him and Metellus. So, I don't know. So Metellus, that's a thing. I actually think Metellus has played really well this year. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying he's, even even though Hawkins has done well and Metellus has struggled, you probably still put Metellus over Hawkins. Kind of. I don't think Josh has struggled though. Well, he's had a couple. He's he's had a couple. He's made bad penalties. Yeah. Which again, I mean, those are they're not. You you don't forget those again, obviously. But you know, S or was it Western when he got the penalty? He was maybe their best defensive player to that point. I mean, he was he made a few excellent plays in the running game. He played some really great coverage downfield. I mean, he was playing a really, really good game until that happened. Uh, and yeah. I guess what I mean, I'm and, saying is fans will see, especially with the safeties, it seems like, they'll see one bad play or two bad plays, and then they'll be like, oh, well, the, the other guy hasn't made that mistake yet, therefore the other guy is better. When right, what right. What we're well, trying to say is that Metellus has done well over the course of the season. He he has done well, and he's done better than Brad Hawkins. As much as Hawkins we were high on Brad Hawkins, he was responsible for the touchdown. Yeah, on Saturday against SMU, that was his broken coverage there that gave that touchdown up. Well, and so, technically against Notre Dame, although I can't blame him for his pers- yeah, first coverage was- snap of in college. But um, yeah. So I I think this will this week will be. We'll know more about the the secondary. Uh, I'll Agreed. I think you know there's there's little things. I mean, but like teams give up passing plays. The the only, one reason, one major reason why they didn't last year is because they didn't face very many good quarterbacks. Cincinnati right. couldn't make the throws that that SMU was making yesterday, and Air Force sure couldn't make the throws Western was making. You know, and Maryland on their fifth string quarterback. And Rutgers with uh, I, I don't with the Resigno was he in that game? You know they're going to face better quarterback play this year. Uh, it's just a matter of growing in consistency because you don't want to make mistakes. But I don't. I'm with you. I don't think it's the problem area yet. You know, and I, I, if we see like Clayton Thorson chew him up, that's. That's a different situation right. or Nebraska. Speaking of Nebraska, let's close up talking about them. Uh, 
I but Michigan's favored by 19. I think that's really high. What's that? It's up to 19 now. Yeah, and I think it was like 18 when it started. I think that's high. I, I you know, it's a couple things that stand out. This is not a uh, untalented Nebraska team. I mean, you know, we're going through, and there's four-star recruit here. Uh, you know, t- former top 50 recruit here. You know, uh, Ty John Lindsay's is their third receiver, and he's a former top 50 recruit. They've got few JUCO transfers, uh, including their star running back Bell, including uh, you know one of their receivers Mike Williams, you know Trey Neal from Central Florida. So it's like an interesting mix of experienced players like Luke Gifford uh, at linebacker. He's having a really fantastic start to the season. But then there are a few new pieces, and I think one thing I would say is I think Michigan is now we'll see what the quarterback situation looks like. I think Michigan is fortunate to be playing this team, one, at home, and then two, early on in the season because I don't know. I don't know about you. I think this team is going to get better, and I wouldn't be surprised if they have an upset or two within them this year. I mean, that's possible. I, I don't. Maybe I don't doubt you in that regard. I just, I mean, they're zero two at home. Well, they lost to a Troy they're team. Gonna, and they're going to go on the road and beat Michigan. I, I didn't just, say they're going to win. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but you're you're implying you think it's going to be a close game, and I don't really. I've got I, them. I, I, do, I, yeah. I could see them covering. I suppose. I guess I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on this game then, I guess would be the best way to put it. But I also just, I don't think this is the Nebraska team that's going to give Michigan big problems, I guess. I think Michigan's defensive line should have a pretty good game in this one. Uh, they they should. They should. The defensive line and, and the linebackers in their pass rushing snaps should have a good game. But Nebraska has a, has a top 20, top 15 run defense. They have... Uh, seems like slightly better secondary play. Now their entire defense is going to be suspect, I think. But you know they have running backs that have that have done things. They have, you know, we'll see. I think Adrian Martinez is probably a touchdown swing as far as what what happens in this game because he can add that mobile element. But it's not like Troy is some joke no, mid major. No, they don't stink. I give. I'll give you that. I don't. I mean, doubt they were that. they were twenty one and five in their previous two seasons. They beat LSU. They scared the pants off of Clemson. You know that's that's not a a terrible loss. I I don't know, man. 18, 18 seems high to me. I think like ten Steven is Montez, roughly. Steven Montez, Colorado. I mean, thirty three. He had three hundred fifty one yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions against Nebraska. Yeah. And that was with no running game. That's correct. I mean, that's, that's correct. So Nebraska, or Colorado ran for 44 yards on 35 carries. That, I assume that includes some sacks in there. I know Nebraska's defensive line looked pretty solid about midway. Were you able to watch that game? Yeah, I watched some of it. Nebraska, okay. Nebraska. I mean, Colorado got off to a really fast start, got punched Nebraska in the mouth. Nebraska answered, which I thought was really impressive. Um, actually led at halftime. And then Colorado did kind of squeak it out. Uh, yeah, it a, I just felt like there were some pretty, you know, the 351 yards. One, Montez is pretty good. Agreed. Two, that was on 50 attempts, so it's not exactly a, 
an amazing performance. I think that comes out to what seven yards per attempt. Literally so seven. Yeah. Yeah. So and then three. I don't know. I I hate to bring officials into it, but it seemed like there were some suspect calls that allowed Colorado's passing game to uh, produce more than than it probably should have. Right. No so, turnovers in the passing game too, though. I mean that's, that is yeah yeah you know that makes a difference. So yeah, I don't know. You know. Anyway, let's do an over under to to okay. just kind of sum up this preview. Uh, this one comes from Via Azul, obviously who does this every week. Let's start Michigan on offense. Shea Patterson, two hundred forty five point five yards passing. Uh, two forty five. Yeah. Didn't he have about 230 last week? I think it was two, 237. Yeah, that's what I, that was the number in my head, too. I will uh, I'll say over. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to actually say over as well. I think Nebraska, their defense looks a lot. Well, it does not look a lot like, but they, they are built similarly to Wisconsin and Michigan State. They you know operate with four linebackers. Their linebackers kind of... Their their defensive line are kind of more space eater types, and then their linebackers are are kind of the the people that go after the quarterback and go after the running back. So pretty good defensive front, by the way. I I believe they have what ten sacks in in yep. two games, and uh you know close. It'll be a great test. Yeah, yeah. Much like yeah. But I think I think Nebraska. I think their approach, unless they're really seeing something in Shea Patterson, which they which they probably should. But I think their approach is going to be we're going to stack the box, stop the run, and make Michigan throw their way out of this game. So I'm going to say over because I think Shea Patterson does that. Team rushing yards, 130.5. I'm going to say under. Well, that's kind of a low, huh? Yeah, it's not that many. Yeah, that's that's pretty. I'm still going to say under. I but I, You're saying under? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Yeah. Donovan Peoples-Jones, 55.5 receiving yards. Oh, receiving yards are, you're saying over. They're kind of a tough one to predict, though, because, like, you know, Nico Collins looked like the star in week two and didn't do a ton in week three. Not, not, you know, they did anything wrong. It's just, you know, that's why it's so hard for receivers to, like, win the Heisman because they just, it's just hard to do it every single week. You just never know. I mean, it could be your your teammate was more open or the wind was blowing. (laughs) Like, you know, so I'm going to say, under, but man, has he looked impressive. 14 catches on 15 targets, 159 yards, and four touchdowns. I mean, that's... Yeah, he's looked awesome. That's all big... Ten, those are all big 10 numbers so far. The tight ends combined, five and a half receptions. Over. I mean, I just I feel... I kind of agree with you. I think they're going to pass the ball quite a bit on Saturday. Yeah. I think uh, we'll see them open it up a little bit. Yeah, well, and I I gotta imagine if if the if they're in a comfortable situation, because they haven't actually gotten to five receptions from the tight ends yet this year, um, so that's that's where maybe I st- take statistically, I'm gonna say under, but I I do I would add the caveat, you know, this could be a game where they maybe try to dial Sean McCune up, and maybe they yep. try to use Nick Eubanks, you know, because the. They they those are good football players and they really want them to be a part of the passing offense. I just don't think that that's been open for them yet. Uh, Ambry Thomas point five rushing attempts. That's I feel like that's an over. They got to try it once, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So 
Uh, on the defense, right. on the defense, one and a half turnovers forced by the defense. I uh, one and a half. Uh, I'll say over. I think I think they get two. I I'll say over as well. Yeah, and you're right. Probably two. It's just you know the nature of football. Hard to yeah. can be hard to just do one, especially against a team that's probably going to take some risks. I mean, I don't. I don't know exactly what Nebraska's game plan is, but you know, with with a whole bunch of running backs and yeah. I, anyway, uh, three and a half pass breakups combined from the cornerbacks and safeties. I I don't know. Under. Yeah, I'm gonna say under. I don't. It sounds it seems like Nebraska. Like even with Martinez and Bunch, who you didn't like his game against Troy, efficiency wise he was fine, uh, but. Even then, they're still running the ball a lot more than they are passing it. So I'm gonna, I'm guessing they're gonna try to keep doing that. I mean, they'll, they'll probably want to play from if they're playing from behind, they won't. But uh, anyway, Kalik Hudson. Ooh, I don't know if this was a this was a tough one from Neil. He said four and a half tackles. Uh, Kalik Hudson will be suspended for the first half due to the targeting rule. That under. he, yeah, I'm gonna say under on four and a half because. I'm not quite sure what he's averaging this year, but it's around that, and he's not going to play in the first half. Uh, Kemp and Monet combined one and a half tackles for loss. Under. Okay, I'm going to say over. I think, I think those two. I mean, how about Brian Monet for as much as he's had a very up and down career. Uh, seems like player of the defensive lineman of the week. Oh, did he win that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so then, uh, well, there you go. I mean, I think they're both ascending players. Uh, anyway, last one, Will Hart, 47 and a half yard punting average. Uh, under just slightly. I don't know. 47 is pretty high. Yeah. I mean, he's at 50 for the year. I, we mentioned that's kind of, opponent neutral but it's also going to be colder it looks like there's going to be some wind i don't know how much wind i have no idea how the ball differs in travel i just think you know might be might be hard to do anyways yeah what is the weather supposed to be cold cold 65 degrees oh that's oh okay cold i guess i wouldn't call that cold that's cold late september i mean it's 80 degrees right now so what? It's well, it's a it's a above, it's above average. I'll bet this is above average. No way. Eighty September. Oh, right 20th. now today is above average. Yeah, that's what I meant. But I think the average. More, that's like normal late September weather. I feel like. I don't agree. When you said cold, I thought you'd like talking like they're gonna have like quarterbacks around with, like hand warmer. Have no. to wear those like hand warmer <laughs> pockets or something. Okay. Okay. Fine. It will be below room temperature. Okay. <laughs> It'll be balmy. All right. What's your score prediction for the game? Uh, 30, 33 to 17. Okay. I'm 30 to 21. So for all that disagreement, we're like, what, seven point difference. So, so you, you have Nebraska covering. We both do on that, on that spread. Uh, Again, it could be a deal where they get out. They get out early, and, and they just kind of 
Got to work on some things again. I don't know. I think the potential for that is there. I just I think this offense is better than people giving credit for. Thirty third in yards per play, Michigan's offense, by the way. Yeah, and I think they're due for. I think the defense is due to have like a, a high quality performance. I think this is the kind of team they can do it again. Yeah, yeah. I I think I I think they get up to twenty one because I think they've got some. I think they have two receivers that are better than Proch. I don't know if they have a quarterback that's going to get them the ball, but uh, hard to for me. I, I, it's hard to hold teams that have talented offensive players to below twenty points in today's college football. So anyway, uh, that'll do it for the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Check out all of our stories at MichiganInsider.com. For Steve Lorenz on the phone lines, I'm Zach Shaw. We will see you next week.